0: welcome 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 everyone back to another episode of generally irritable as promised we would be coming to you live today to talk about the thing that everyone is talking about right now and that's the israeli-palestinian conflict uh war conflict uh i don't know uh provocation. I don't know what you call Whatever relationship, uh it is it is top of everyone's mind right now and uh you know guys, I got to confess to you as we as we get the show started today, um I am a product of the uh collegiate system here in the United States over the last couple of decades and like we're seeing in uh, in a lot of on on a lot of college campuses right now i was taught uh what i will call a false history of the region of um of the middle east that is currently known as israel okay now let's i want to just be really transparent right like i was in college I was not a Christian, Uh, I I didn't know a lot of Jewish people, and so because I had a real ignorance or lack of knowledge around the history of what was known as the Ottoman Empire for, for decades, generations, uh, I had no I had no historical knowledge of that area. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the Torah. I didn't know that people had been warring over this area for literally thousands of years. And so, when I was taught some things in college, I didn't I didn't do a great job of really interrogating the information. And it wasn't until I met someone who knew better. And was uh, actually a part of the military uh, that I started to actually fully learn the history of the region. Uh, that I I really learned uh, what how the how Israel the the what we currently know as Israel was created. I didn't know any of the historical, you know. So I, I got taught this. And then I became a believer, right? And I started reading the Bible and I started learning about all of this. And then I and then I realized how much political turmoil and how many wars and changing of hands and conflicts. And so I just wanted to invite on somebody way smarter than me about this topic who could teach me and my viewers more about the history of the region, about the conflict between, uh, these two groups of people and just really be straight and logical, um, without some of the, you know, real, real, uh, emotional rhetoric and i mean this is an emotional topic you guys and i'm sure my guest dr bruce abramson has some emotions about this but i'm gonna, but but he is one of the smartest people i know and he and i was told that he was the best possible person to speak to the issues so without any further ado dr bruce abramson thank you so much for coming on the show tonight
1: Thank you, Eric. It was great to be with
0: you. So, um, now you are just to establish with our viewers, um, that you have written books, you've done scholarly articles, you've been studying this stuff for, for decades. Uh, you have a real historical knowledge about Israel, about the history of the Ottoman empire and what kind of has been going on the last 75 years or so is that fair to say
1: yeah absolutely and 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 you've picked the right starting point because the arab israeli mm. conflict it's important to recognize it's an arab israeli conflict it is a product of the modern middle east mm. prior to the modern middle east the ottoman empire had been there since the uh you know the early 15th century right uh, the Ottomans sacked constantinople in 1453 that wasn't when they got started that was kind of their high <laughs> point uh they made it all the way to vienna by the 17th century the gates of vienna was where they stopped but the ottoman empire really was the middle east for 500 years so right if you go back before then you're getting into really old stuff but the well, actual- and that's
0: what you've got like persia up there which is modern day iran right like that was kind of at the same time you had the Ottoman Empire and it's all you know kind of going back and forth warring right
1: right the trick is that the modern Middle East started with the decline and fall of, of the Ottoman Empire which was really just a hundred years ago okay it was oh, the wow. end of World War and the World War one it was just a hundred years ago and and so that that's the correct starting point I mean you can go back to the Bible of course, to be fair, if you're going to go back to the Bible and you want to understand the Arab-Israeli conflict, you should probably also read the Quran just as carefully. And in my experience, relatively few people have done both. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly, relatively few people who like pontificating about these issues have done both. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to stick to, if you want to stick to geopolitics, understand what's going on, you really have to look at the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Okay, and it turns out that around the time of the fall of the Ottoman Empire, actually during the last days of the Ottoman Empire, um, which were basically World War One, right? Um, you know, there were uh, two conflicting views of what to do with this region. Okay, and 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 these were both, and I should say there was a very strong Arab claim, and there was a very strong Jewish claim, but they were not the same claims, and they were not the claims that hear. The Arab claim went like this. The first one to articulate it was uh, Sharif Hussein of Mecca. Anybody who's watched Lawrence of Arabia, or maybe even people who have read the book, know the character. Yep. Right? Sharif Hussein of Mecca, who is actually his great-great-grandson, is now King Abdullah II of Jordan. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, Sharif Hussein of Mecca comes up with this great idea, and he writes to McMahon... who at that point is the British high commander in Egypt. In what are known, and these are very, in, in Arab sources, these are considered very important documents. Um, they're called the Hussein McMahon letters, which is, of course, creative naming for the correspondence between Hussein and, <laughs> and Hussein. <laughs> Um And Hussein articulates a very clear vision. He writes to McMahon and says, I am writing on behalf of all Arabic speakers between Egypt and Persia. And he offers McMahon a deal. He says, I will lead an Arab rebellion. Again, if you think back to Lawrence of Arabia, this is what was going on. I will lead an Arab rebellion allied with the British to ride up from the south and help you attack the Ottoman Empire who was on the other side of the war from you. And what I want in exchange, again, writing on behalf of uh, you know all Arabic speakers between uh, Egypt and Persia, what I want in exchange is I want my claim You know, I want my claim recognized. Mm
2: -hmm. Now,
1: essentially, this is a very strong claim. It's an imperial claim. It is very, very well grounded in history. Because for 2,700 years, it's not just that there was no Israel. Going back to the days of the Assyrians, okay, um, the sacking of the first temple. 2,700 years from then until the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the Middle East, the Levant, which is the geographic area that today is Israel, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, and Iraq. Okay. Um, And in some extended readings, also the Arabian Peninsula, but certainly the Levant, had been um, governed as part of one empire or another. There were a few exceptions. There were about 100 years of um, Hasmonean or Maccabean kingdoms uh, before the Romans came in. Those were city states. Uh, There were a couple of small crusader states along the coast of the Holy Land, uh, Kingdom of Jerusalem, the Kingdom of Acre. But by and large, those were the exceptions. And those were about, you know, I think the crusaders there for about 70 years. The Hasmoneans there for 100 or so. Those are the exceptions. For 2700 years, you've got a series of empires, one after another. Okay? And Hussein is writing very logically to say, look, we'll help you to defeat the Turks, and we want to continue the empire, and it'll right. be an Arab empire, and we'll move the capital from Istanbul down to down to, to Mecca, where I'm in charge, and it'll be an Arab empire. And basically, it'll be kind of like a continuation of the Ottoman Empire, except that instead of the Turks being in charge, the Arabs will be in charge, and I'll be the chief of the Arabs, okay? Okay. That is well-grounded in history. It makes a lot of sense. Yep. It turns out, Hussein thought that that's what he was negotiating, and a lot of the Arabs claim that that is what he negotiated. If you read the letters carefully, it turns out that the um, well-trained, well-educated British diplomat was a better diplomat than Sheriff Hussein of Mecca. And, And what McMahon ends up doing is he doesn't actually promise anything. He says, you know, we'll we'll absolutely take it under consideration. Yeah, we'll see. But come on board
0: with the war. Let's go get them.
1: You know, this is Hollywood. You'll have full consultation rights over whatever we do. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and and, and then, of course, um, the other problem that Hussein ran into was that when he was actually given things, he couldn't hold on to them. He kept losing wars. Okay, uh, um, he he lost control of the Saudi Peninsula to Ibn Saud. Um, uh, his son Faisal was handed Syria. Uh, the French kicked him out. The British gave 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 Iraq to Faisal. Um, uh, eventually, the Baathists kicked him out. Uh, so they weren't really all that great at holding on to stuff. But in any event, so
0: basically, this guy who said we're going to make this a giant Arab state because what? we've been here no, failed to-,
1: to hold on to anything. It wasn't a state claim. It was an empire claim. There's going to be an Arab mm. empire. Okay. Ah, okay. And it's going to be like the empires. Now this is historically perfectly valid. There's nothing logically wrong with saying it's been an empire for 2,700 years. The capital moves around, the people in charge move around. We'll be the next one where the majority we're big and we'll help you win a war to get it. Okay. That That is a valid historical claim. It's an imperial claim. Now, Nothing. Nothing in the Hussein McMahon letters suggests that there are distinct groupings of Arabs in there. That there are distinct nationalities. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Okay. It's an empire. Couple right. of right. So
0: it's an, like none of the tribes right. are are separated out, identified, named, claimed, or whatever. It's it just more,
1: anybody who's Arab. Right. It's more than that. You have to remember there are a couple of things about empires. Okay, all empires, Roman, Arab, British, doesn't matter. All empires have two things in common. They're all multi-ethnic. Right. You become an empire unless you can conquer other people. Right. And they're all supremacist. Down the line. Yeah. Whoever the emperor thinks of as his or her own is above everybody else so okay. even
0: if he says he wants to be leading an arab empire basically he's still going to think that his people are number one
1: well you know he was talking to your british empire if, mm. if, if you know if you think that punjabis and, and londoners were equal were equivalent in the british empire you haven't spoken to anybody okay no. mm. all empires all empires good empires bad empires. All empires are multicultural and multi ethnic, and all empires are supremacist. Okay. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. I mean, that's that, okay. that, that has been true of every empire that ever existed. Okay. Okay.
0: That's, I feel like that's a good um, framework to be starting from. <laughs> right. Well, like we're, well, we're setting sure. up a premise here this that is, is what, important.
1: Yeah. So this is how the Ottoman Empire was structured. I mean, all the people talk about how well everybody got along in the Ottoman Empire. They got along well in the Ottoman Empire, the way that they got along well under Jim Crow or under a You know, your little community had autonomy. It had fewer rights than the real people. Um, if there were ever a conflict between you and one of the emperor's people, you were going to lose. But as long as you knew your place, you could pretty much get by. Wow. Okay? That, that's Yep. And that's, that's how most empires were structured. In fact, as an aside... There's a story, there is a Jewish community in Uganda that is not well recognized by global Jewry. And I learned about this community because they made a record album that the Smithsonian recorded in their folkways series. Here's the history of this Ugandan tribe of Jews. The British conquered Uganda. And one of the tribal chieftains got pretty smart and he studied the Bible and he said, this is good stuff. And he converted all of his people. And then he went to the British commanders there and said, we're brothers in Christ, you must now treat us as equals. And the British said, yeah, not so much. And the chieftain went back and said, fine, then we'll become Jewish. (laughs) And that's how you got a tribe of of Ugandan Jews. (laughs) And that's why they're not really recognized by most of the rest of the Jewish world. That's wild. wild. Right? Oh, my God. Okay. You have to
3: applaud the attempt. I'm just saying yeah. it's it strategic. It
1: was very clever. Um, you know, but, but this, is, so this is true of all empires, and this is what Hussein wanted to build, and this is the basis of the Arab claim. Okay. You know, at the same time that this is going on, you've got this ideology, uh, kind of a romantic nationalism, that's been bubbling up through Europe since, really, the early 19th century. Okay? And the idea there is that what we're going to do is we're going to free the captive nations who've been trapped in empires. All right? The first great okay. example of this was the um, Greek Revolution of 1820. Greece had been part of the Ottoman Empire. It was a captive nation. The Greeks had a distinct language. They had a distinct faith. Right? And okay. The Europeans set out to free them from what was already a clearly weakened Ottoman Empire. And they went. And in fact, um, Greece was liberated, not so much by the Greeks, but by a coalition of the British, French and Russians, who then couldn't agree which one of them should be in charge. So they imported a Prussian, which is why the first king of modern Greece was, with the very Greek name, King Otto the OK, um, so this idea of romantic nationalism had been bubbling around and it was used in okay. World War One to dismember the Austro-Hungarian Empire, where you suddenly for the first time get an independent Hungary and, and, and a Czechoslovakia for the Czechs and the Slovaks. Yugoslavia was, was a rump, and you get an Albania, um, you know, but, but you really had this notion of romantic nationalism that was going through Europe that said that nations are distinct things and each nation should have its state. Okay. There Got are, it. Okay. Once, that makes you start, sense. once you start making once you start with the concept of nation states, there are two ways you can go. You can either say, Hi, we're a well-defined nation, we think of ourselves as a nation, we think of ourselves as a group, and we would like a plot of territory on which to form a state. All right. Mm-hmm. And that's the easier way to go. That's state building. The other way is what's known as nation building, where somebody, and this is what happened in most of Africa. Somebody draws lines on a map and then says, you, you're in charge. Go convince all the people who live here that they're part of a nation. And that's really hard. And that's why it's failed almost everywhere. That's why wow. nation building has a bad name. It's failed almost everywhere. Okay. But you, you had this notion that we want to do is we want to free the captive nations. Now, within that general ethos that's really, you know, this growing wind coming through Europe, which is nearing the end of its concept of imperialism.
0: Well, hold on. Yeah. Just yeah. out of curiosity, hold on. Before we continue, it's interesting to hear you talk about this because I'm thinking, who started this idea, this romantic... When you say this romantic idea and it's spread across Europe, was this like... Because you had the British Empire, but it almost right. sounds like the British were trying to break up everyone else's
1: empire, but their own. Well, everybody tries to break up everyone else's empire, but their own. <laughs> I <laughs> okay. mean that's turned of the game, right? Well, mm. so the,
0: was this like propaganda that was being spread around? Like, no. what what started it? Do you think?
1: Oh, the did I miss that part? Yeah, the, the Treaty of Westphalia stuff. So the nation state concept, right? Y- you know, you, you remember when you were like in junior high school social studies and they would have maps in your book and mm-hmm. you could figure out where the border was at the Roman Empire? Yes. How come there were no lines? I don't get it. And, and you know, why, why is it that every time I turn a page like the, the you know, the picture of Germany looks different, right? It's because th- these things, th- the map didn't look the way that it looked now. There were no well-defined borders, okay? mm. there were no well-defined territories, there were no well-defined states. Emp- imperialism is a much older idea. States came about really, um, <laughs> states came about because the Counter-Reformation was, was, was fought to a stalemate, and if you look at it, uh, if you look at it objectively, you realize that the reason that we needed nation-states was it was the only way to formalize religious discrimination. OK, the, the, the resolution of the um, counter of the counter-reformation, the end of the, these wars in 1648 at the Treaty of Westphalia was the proclamation that the faith of the king is the faith of his nation. OK, which essentially means if I'm a Catholic king.
0: Everyone's Catholic.
1: I can do whatever I want to the to the to, to the you know, Protestants in my kingdom, but I can't ride to the protection of the Catholics living next door in a Protestant kingdom. Huh. Okay. That wow. was, okay. Yeah, because, because that, that was necessary to end the counter-reformation. Whoa. Right. We'll all retreat to our own quarters. Um, that's the origin of the I... States system. It was a treaty of Australia, 1648.
0: I just, I'm, I'm start like some of this stuff as I'm, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm even thinking about conversations I've had recently. Um, Benjamin, I'm trying to remember if you were part of it where we asked, um, you know, like why are Spaniards and Greeks darker skinned than everybody else? Or like, why are certain, you know, why is it that you know, you have like the people in Sweden are like super pale, but people like me, um, have olive skin tone and now like listening to you, I'm like, Oh, because we were importing because there were Arabs who came and took things over and then everybody was, the, it was the thing. And then, and then they came over and conquered and then it was this other person. And then it was just
1: like, Well, the answer to that is because there's more direct sun in Spain and Greece than there is in Sweden. Uh, Oh, well, I mean, that makes sense. By the way, if you want to understand why all the good cuisines come from warm climates. Yeah. Yeah. It's because if you lived in Sweden and you wanted to keep your meat fresh, you threw it in the backyard for eight months and it stayed refrigerated. (laughs) And, and, And if you lived in Greece and you wanted to keep your meat fresh before refrigeration, you had to spice it.
0: Because otherwise mm. it would rot.
1: Because otherwise it would rot. Okay. That's... Norway Norway has great refrigeration. Vietnam, not so much. <laughs> Fair enough. Right,
0: well, that makes some sense. Okay. So the Treaty of Westphalia. It, it, wait,
1: wait, okay. I, I have a general rule reality makes yeah. sense. Mm. If it happened, it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense to you, you're the one missing something. I, 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 I can never abide the people who say, Reality has failed to conform to my theory. Therefore, reality must be wrong.
0: I mean, hmm. isn't that kind of what well, modern day academia is
1: now? Modern <laughs> <laughs> day academia is a clamshell. I mean, that's exactly what it is. But, but, uh, but okay, but reality. Reality makes sense if they if if they got. Spicier cuisines in warm countries. There's a reason warm countries have spicier cuisines. We're not even just
3: just warm countries. Now that we're thinking about it, we talk about, well, we have obviously the joke, white people food, right? Um, We're talking about the north, where it's colder. It's the north. And we talk about white people food. In the south, everything, flavor, seasoning. It's not a color mm. thing, it's a part
0: of the country thing. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Oh, a cultural thing. It's, cultural. Isn't that fascinating? Okay. Yeah. Okay, right. so the Treaty, now, the Treaty of Westphalia. The
1: Treaty of Westphalia starts the nation states, and you got this idea that, that's. And by the way, even now we start drawing up, lines. Okay. So, so Westphalia was set up to allow religious discrimination. But the irony is it ends up promoting tolerance in the long run because people start coming up with treaties and say, you know what, I'll leave my Protestants alone if you leave your Catholics alone.
2: Interesting.
1: Okay, And then you import it to the United States where people are living, you know, it's just a mosaic, right? And and basically you get this idea that, that, you know, we're either going to recreate the wars of the Counter-Reformation or we're going to find a way to let everybody get along. And, and this is where you get, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before in a completely different context. The notion of the separation of church and state that we take for granted. Yeah. It's wackadoodle. It doesn't exist anywhere. Okay. It's just absolutely nuts. No, yes. you know, Minority faiths are known to say things like maybe if we pay our taxes and and, you know, Call the king great names and go to war. You know, go to, and serve as soldiers occasionally. The king will let us practice our faith. Mm. The members of the king's faith. I always want to. I always want to cram it down everyone's throat. Yes. Um, and, and, and in fact, if you want to know how bizarre it is, okay, one of the best known stories in the Gospels. You know, Jesus is walking with his followers, and they uh, and they're approached by a tax collector, a Roman tax collector, and the people are stumped. OK, are they going to fund this guy who's oppressing them?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Why not? And Jesus says, look at the coin. And they look at the coin and he says, whose picture is on the coin? And they say, uh, Caesar's. And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. Everybody knows that part. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. The story comes up three times in all three of the synoptic gospels. And the following line, the line that immediately follows that nobody ever remembers, but it's the same all three times. You know what it is? and they marveled at his words. You know why? Because it was a weird idea. I mean, they marveled at his words because they'd never heard it before. This idea that Mm. it's okay to give your loyalty and support to different authorities and different spheres. Mm. That was radical. And it was lost, okay? It was lost as soon as the moment that Christianity took over the Roman Empire. Right. The first first thing that Constantine does after he declares Christianity the official faith of the Roman Empire is he says, well, if Christianity is the official faith of the Roman Empire, you know what we need? We need an official Christianity. And he convenes the Council of Nicaea, and he says to them, you guys figure out what the official Christianity is because everything else is a blasphemy and we have to get rid of it <laughs> and they narrow down the 200 gospels that have been floating around before official and and they declare all of the other Christian movements heresies and they persecute them because yeah. you know it wasn't enough that generic Christianity be the official the, the official religion there had to be an official Christianity to the Roman Empire. Right. well there
0: were some there were some christians early christians that were cannibals so for the record
1: mm-hmm. uh you know yeah but there were also there were the Thomists and there were the gnostics and there were all these, <laughs> you know, all these names from the third century that are now mm-hmm. referred to as heresies that's why they were heresies because as soon as rome figured out what was official everybody who didn't buy into the official line was a heretic wow mm-hmm okay so speaking
0: well, so, of heresies
1: yeah right. so okay, okay. so you, let's, let's so you right. have okay let's go back to the modern middle east <laughs> yes i want to talk more about heresies because i was the, i was the, i'm sorry I, I i tend to weave my stories in strands so. i know
0: i know it's it's well you realize how interconnected yeah. so many of these conversations are and, and I think that's why when people try to distill the, you know, any of these conversations down to just black and white, yeah, it, it, it really does a disservice because so many people like, think about that. Even just in the, in the, in the little, you know, the 28 minutes we've been recording, we've talked about like thirty five hundred years of history of people warring and fighting and yeah. tribes and they they there didn't used to be countries and now there is countries and you know and then that you got the different religions and you got yeah. kingdoms and right like and what it's what Bruce, only been
3: what Bruce actually said there was interesting though when he said um they both depending on who you're looking at the Arab claim. And the Jewish claim are both strong. And yeah. most people won't won't say that in that way, but um, or don't don't look at it that way. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy. It's black and white, and that's it. And it's obviously way more gray than that, but that's how people see it. And I was actually talking to my um my uncle the other day, who's he's a he's a Bible teacher, and he said he was talking about that land back, I believe was would have been referred to as Canaan. If I'm not mistaken, and he said
1: before the Israelites.
3: So before the Israelites, he says that would have been Philistines, etc., and Canaanites, all these people that were there before the Israelites. And if you're a Christian, obviously you're going to go, well, it's God's land; He gets to do what He wants with it. His people come in and do whatever they want to do. However, that's still from a very—if you're not a Christian and you don't, or Jewish and you don't care about any of that, right? that meant that those people were there and have a legitimate reason to believe that they should have that land too however you want to break it up but that means that they do it's not weird that they would want the land and
1: but want it back those people are not today's arabs mm, okay i mean you know the, the the those peoples those nations were 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 you know eradicated and assimilated a long time ago
0: yeah, the Canaanites yeah, uh, and the Philistines. Now, you know, and, it, it, is,
1: it, yep. it seems likely that if not every Jebusite, I mean, it seems certain that if not every Jebusite was eradicated when the Jebusite culture was defeated mm-hmm. and dispersed, um, you know, somebody somewhere has Jebusite genetics, but we have no idea where. I mean, you know, correct they, 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 they could be in China, they could be in Africa. They probably weren't in the pre-Columbian Americas. I think we can rule that out. <laughs> i would assume not but uh, okay so so but,
0: we're so it's a hundred years right, ago right,
1: but here's the thing so, so we've got this romantic nationalism sweeping through and there's this okay. europe and there's this general idea among europeans that we want to do is we want to free the captive nations of the world and give them mm-hmm. their own homes okay and thank within you so this much notion, white savior okay within this notion in 1870s you get zionism which is a very very standard 19th century european nationalist movement okay, okay. Want a homeland for the jews and the historic jewish homeland okay. and by the 1890s you get a lot of people moving down and buying land and trying to negotiate with the ottoman emperor um, and trying to set up a homeland uh, and really improving the economic conditions and the economic climate now by the time you get world war one going on where everybody understands the ottoman empire is probably going to lose and it's probably going to get dismembered. Um, the Zionists start petitioning the uh, the English for a homeland there. And in 1917, when this is two years after the the uh, Hussein McMahon letters, in 1917, the Jewish leadership in England, uh, you know, which is fairly well connected, it's small, but it's fairly well connected at this point, um, they cut a deal with Lord Balfour. Right? Mm. Uh, and they issue what's known as the Balfour Declaration of 1917, which is that, her, you know, again, the British never promise anything. They say that Her Majesty's government or His Majesty's government at that point, look at this point, I guess, <laughs> uh, looks favorably upon the formation of a, a Jewish homeland in the Holy Land, provided that it does not compromise um, the uh, religious or civic rights of the other residents.
0: Okay, so basically, okay. Now, cool, come on down okay. as long no, as you don't that, mess
1: with the Arabs. That, that's about for that. Well, no, as long as you don't, and this is important, as long as you don't compromise their religious or civic rights. Now, what's missing from that formulation that people like talking about? Do you see what's missing? No. There's no mention of national rights. Oh, okay. Okay, And there's no mention of national rights because there are no national rights. There is no Arab nation. And this is why when I say there are two very valid historical claims, but they're not the same, it is not a story of two nations competing for the same homeland. It's an imperial claim that says the entire Middle East should be part of an empire under unified Arab rule versus a national claim that says the captive nations of the region have a right to self-determination in their own homelands. Okay? There There is a valid Arab imperial claim, but that's the only valid Arab claim. And there is a valid Jewish national claim, and that's the only valid Jewish claim. They are not the same. And today, if you believe in imperialism, and by the way, I mean, we can all knock it. It's not nuts to say the way the world was organized through most of the recorded history is much better than the way things are now. Mm. I don't agree with it. Mm. It's not an insane perspective. I um, mean... And, and, that's, and that's the basis of the Arab climate. Now, once you get any place you have, uh, any place you have any of these nations that suddenly, you know, Greece, Hungary, Albania, armenia azerbaijan israel anytime uh, czechoslovakia anytime you have one of these that suddenly becomes independent of the empire yeah but you've, uh, ukraine is another you've got a problem and the problem is there are people who were the emperor's people mm. who were first among non-equals who all of a sudden find themselves a rump minority oh, wow. left behind in somebody else's nation oh yeah. wow This is the sudeten germans at the beginning of world war ii who were exiled at the end of world war ii this is the russian nationals living in ukraine mm, this is yep. the armenians that were just chased out of the Karabakh. of course yeah. and this is the arabs living in the jewish state
0: yep Okay. Mm. okay that makes sense
1: all right it's the muslims living in india well no i take it away. it's not the muslims living in india um, but but it is it is many 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 of these people you used to be part of the majority you used to be first among non equals and all of a sudden you are a necessarily suspect minority living in someone else's homeland i just
0: okay? i want to highlight what that that expression first of non equals
1: Right. We so basically, all, all empires are supremacist.
0: That's that that first part of the premise that we talked about was, mm-hmm. um, you know, I live here and I'm and I and and there's a hierarchy of people and I and so you have people that basically went from being in charge or being, you know, it right. to now you're just another person among people. And not only that, but you're actually becoming a minority. Yeah. Not You're not just a person among persons, you are a minority or you are the excommunicado
1: of the region.
3: You're unfavored colonizer.
1: And that is, oh, you know who it is? It's the, you know, it's the white South Africans, okay? Mm. It is inherent. The moment you say, I stand for self-determination of anybody, for any reason, under any set of circumstances, you are announcing that you are prepared to trap a whole bunch of probably low-level peasants in someone else's homeland. OK, that, you know, that, that's it. That, that is part of what self-determination means. OK. OK. Uh, you know, you want a better example in South Africa. It was the whites left behind. You know, It was the white farmers left behind when Rhodesia became Zimbabwe, who fared a lot worse than they did in South Africa. I mean, it doesn't matter how righteous you think it is. If you advocate for anybody's self-determination, you are saying and, and of course, this is not just a matter of self determination, okay? History is full of people saying, uh, you know, you wake up one morning and somebody knocks on the door and says, "Hi, the government changed. <laughs> you are now, you are now a subject of some other." Thing I mean, imagine that. I mean, yeah,
0: imagine. If- uh- Imagine we're Americans living in America and then somehow, you know, they go to the UN and they make some kind of deal and then they come back and they're like, Oh, by the way, we just gave over control of Texas to, to China.
1: Well, you know, people think it couldn't happen here, but it happened in our lives in the Soviet union. There were a lot of people who were very happy Soviet citizens and they woke up one day and, and were told, you're now a citizen of Turkmenistan of Latvia. Wow. You know, I, I, I and mean, that's who what asked them.
0: I think it's important. Again, I know, I feel like I've said this a couple times when I, when you, when you hear the history yeah. and the, and the years, right. So, you know, 2,700 years of the Ottoman empire versus a hundred years, of us deciding that living as empires is not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like we as human beings um so much has changed. It literally was and still is oh my god my my mouth isn't catching up to my brain (laughs) i've said this like it's only been in the last hundred years or so that we've decided that colonizing isn't okay Mm -hmm. um you know up until i've said that to people i'm like and and yet there are still people today who think it's okay to just take over other people's countries and so when we look at history we have to remember that it was this way For this long and we've only been trying to do it another way for like this long well one of the things that's interesting about
3: when you say that is who gets to determine when that time of strength of arms is over typically the person who's got who's got the best hands i guess at that time when everybody's kind of settled down and it's kind of like when they talk about um Climate change, and we're talking to countries like India and whatever. And we've had our industrial revolution and we've gotten to a decent state, you know, state of living. And now we're looking at them and going, You can't burn those down, you can't cut that down because it's bad for the environment. It's like, okay, so you gotta cut your carbon emissions. But but we did it to get to get here. So how do we get to determine that they can't do it to catch up?
1: I don't know how. I think it's a mistake, but the answer is the people who are imposing those rules have more power. You, you know, you know, we tend to think that we found, you know, more peaceful ways to do things. But in fact, you know, the rule used to be the guy with the most guns gets to make up the rules. So we said, let's civilize it. Now the guy with the most dollars gets to make up the rule. The guy with the most votes <laughs> gets to make up the rules. It's all the same thing. Right. It's just that, you know, and I mean, really, you look what we do in this country and I've I've written about this. Okay, we are in the midst of a bloody civil war. The difference is most of the people fighting in the civil war on both sides don't really want to kill anybody. In fact, even, you know, the Chinese may want to take over America. They don't want to kill all the Americans. They want control. Okay, basically, the idea is we don't care if you live or die, but. As long as you're alive, if you don't follow the rules, you're going to be miserable, and we're okay with that. That's okay? <laughs> peaceful. peaceful. It would be wrong to come in and kill people. I'll just come in and announce that if you don't claim your fealty to me, you'll be unemployable and living on the streets. Oh, you're much kinder than the guy who came in and shot everybody.
3: Well, <laughs> what you what you just said is what. Is what our people are trying to do kind of now, right? Isn't that what's go- like we're doing? That's what canceling people and all that stuff
2: That's is about.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? I'd never kill anybody. I'll just, you know, make him lose his job and, you know, make him lose his job and drain his bank account and poison his family against him and take away all his friends. Look at how nice I am. <laughs> <laughs> so generous. Nice
0: so generous. Um, okay. Now, now, so, by the way,
1: Here's where history becomes even more fun. So we've got this idea. We've got this idea of self-determination that we all like. right? Okay. And, and the British and the French, by the way, when they were drawing maps in the Middle East, it wasn't just the Jews. The, the Christians, the Maronite Christians in Lebanon also had a claim for a homeland and they got one. There were a couple mm-hmm. of other groups. If you look at some of the early maps... There is a a little country called Latakia, which is along the Syrian coast. Um, It's where the Alawites live, they're a distinct group. They're now the the dictators of Syria. But their homeland is a coastal strip called Latakia. Uh, There's a little one on some of the early maps called Jebel Druze. The Druze are a, um, they're considered a heretical offshoot of of Islam uh, from about a thousand years ago. Um, they intermarry, they're a closed community, they're a very interesting community, they are fiercely loyal to whatever government they live in. So the Syrian Druze are rabidly anti-Syrian, and the Israeli Druze are very staunch Zionists. Um, huh. But but the Druze were going to be given their own homeland, and and, and there, there are a few others. So there were all these little okay. Catholic nations that, that, that are getting, you know, Kurdistan has been on and off maps for a long time. Uh, yep. Okay, the northern part yep. of the month. So, so you've got, and even within Kurdistan, there are also the Turkmens who want their own state, and they have one now called Turkmenistan, which is north of there. Yep. Um, but there are all these groups, and there's this notion you know that, that maybe some or all of them should get there, uh, you know should get their homelands. and it's probably not a coincidence that the two that ended up with homelands were the two that actually knew how to talk to Europeans with the with the Jews and the Christians. Um, you know, it's probably not a coincidence. But now yep. the question is, Anywhere in the world, okay? So we've got Greece that we separated from, from the Ottomans in 1820. Mm-hmm. And by the way, anybody who says there's no story like the Jewish story, read the history of modern of the modern Greek state. Because the Greek land, the Greek world stretched from the Adriatic to Armenia. And it was consolidated and consolidated and consolidated. Ooh, and yeah. in fact, at the end of World War One, there was an exchange of, I think, you know, a million or two people um, where... Turkish-speaking Turkish-speaking Christians were pushed west across the Bosphorus, and Greek-speaking Muslims were pushed east. And it was a massive population exchange. And this is how. So we've got this idea that we've suddenly got this this new country that is self-determination for one of the captive nations, and you got a whole bunch of people who are agitating to rejoin the empire. And of course, if the empire still exists, the empire says this is an affront. To the empire, you can't have self determination on imperial lands, and I know these are imperial lands because I used to be in charge. And so the question <laughs> is: the question is, how do we stabilize the situation to get to a point where these countries can live together in at least some relative uh, in, in some relative peace? And there is right. an answer. Do you know what the answer is? Do you no. know how we stabilize to get to peace?
0: Refugee go to war.
1: Crisis. Refugee crisis. <laughs> We trigger a refugee crisis, okay, and that's how we get to peace. Now Churchill gave a great speech on this in 1946 when he was talking about getting the sedating Germans out of Czech out of Czechia and into Germany, and he was talking about moving people out of Poland so it could be full of Poles and pushing the Russians one way. Churchill, 1946, of course Churchill was out of power, so to give a damn what he said, um, but uh, but he gave a very good speech about it, advocating for it. Um, of course, the most famous one. Was was the you know was the refugee crisis around the um, founding of India and Pakistan, which hmm. was brutal for the Punjabis in particular, where, where you had huge numbers of of Muslims fleeing west and Hindus fleeing east. Okay, um, <laughs> you know hugely hugely brutal and nasty. But the thing is that they, these places all stabilized. Okay, the way that, the way that you stabilize. All right. Why is there a war now between Russia and Ukraine? Because Stalin stuck a bunch of ethnic Russians in Ukraine. And when the Soviet Union crumbled, they were allowed to stay. And now you've got these regions in Ukraine that are primarily ethnic Russians who are not treated well by the Ukrainians, who are agitating and saying, hey, Russia next door, please protect us. You know, and that's, it doesn't mean you have to favor the Russian. If you want to understand why that war is going on, You know Mm -hmm. what? What there is, you know what the basis for it is, is that you had ethnic Russians who used to be part of, you know, their empire, was the czar, Mm. was the Soviets. They were living in Ukraine. They were very happy. They were better off. They got along well with the emperor, who never really thought that well. The czars did not think that highly of the Ukrainians. Mm. uh, The Russians were much better off, and now interesting. They're kind of trapped and they're they're governed by these Ukrainians who say crazy things like Russian Orthodoxy is illegal. What does that even mean? There are Russian Orthodox priests in in, in jail all over Ukraine. Oh. There was a very interesting story that came out last December. Last December, if you listen carefully, if you listen carefully, um, Christmas Day. There were a whole bunch of stories coming out of Ukraine saying, uh, you know, Ukraine is bringing in Christmas. This is the first time they're bringing in Christmas on December twenty fifth. Why? Because Ukraine always brought in Christmas on January seventh, as the Eastern churches do. I thought I
3: saw something about that where they they were they were saying they, didn't they send a delegate over there to discuss or look at the situation? And They said, oh yeah, freedom's being. A practice there's religious freedom there's there's no problems there i forget who it was that reported that but sounds like they were inaccurate
1: they were completely inaccurate the reporting came out from people who you, you, listen these are the same people that say there's no corruption in the ukraine it's a wonderful democratic state which is like a lie you're like five hey, CNN, minutes ago hey, cnn here are 70 headlines you had two years ago talking about corruption in ukraine <laughs> different cnn wasn't wasn't that okay um so but,
0: so the so the Brits right. and the French okay. basically so, carve up right. the Asian okay continent. Now,
1: now okay wait now moving forward so we got the Balfour Declaration in 2017. um now under all laws of international war the Allies the Allied powers defeat the Central Powers okay um Kamal Turk forms modern Turkey, relinquishes okay. all claims, Treaty of Sef- hands over the entire Levant to the Brit to, to the Allied powers.
0: Okay, so wait, this is nineteen seventeen?
1: that nineteen seventeen was the uh was the um Balfour Declaration. This is twenty to twenty-two. Okay. Okay, got it. Twenty to twenty-two. Um, you know, by the way, so so yeah, so twenty two, Anaturk forms the modern Turkish state. Twenty-three, he abolishes the caliphate, which is hugely significant, hugely significant. 23 abolishes the caliphate, but basically the entire Levant, which is, as Sheriff Hussein described it, the primarily arabic speaking region between Egypt and Turkey, between Egypt and Persia, south of Turkey, hands over to the Allied powers, who then hand the whole thing over to the League of Nations. And the League of Nations forms two manda- forms three mandates. They give the British the uh, mandate for Palestine the mandate for Mesopotamia, and they give the French the mandate for Syria. And the purpose of these mandates, remember, we're in this post-imperial thinking. These were not part of the British and French empires, which were still going on at that point. The mandate, the purpose of the mandate was to, um, you know, was to prepare the locals for self-governance. Oh, mm. wow okay that was the job of the mandatory powers now specifically on the mandate for palestine which is a regional name like mesopotamia like it's not a
0: country name it's not a peoples it's not a whatever and that's one of the things that i think is so frustrating when i hear people have the conversation Mm -hmm. i'm like I know that you know, don't know what yeah. you're talking about because you're talking about Palestine as if it was a place,
1: but and the, the it wasn't. It, well, I mean, it's a place like Appalachia is a place.
0: Right, exactly. It's a
1: region. Like, you, you, ever, you ever you ever hear a movement for an independent Appalachia? Like <laughs> New England. Yeah. Right? Um, it's a region. And, and the mandate for Palestine um, contains what is today all of Israel and all of Jordan. Mm. Okay. And the specific charter, the charter for the, mandate, the British mandate for Palestine um, is, is a bit different from the other two, because this is done in what's known as the, 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 the San Remo Conference of 1920. Okay, The mandate for Palestine instructs the British that while everybody is getting these locals ready for self-governance, tells the British that what they're supposed to do is set up a Jewish homeland in, within the Palestine mandate
0: well and then if it's the other part of the region is jordan where the guy is who was trying to maintain the ottoman empire and be in charge of
1: the whole thing well the first thing that happens by 22 the british sever off the majority of the land in the man in the palestine mandate and use it to form jordan okay 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 um, so, so that is, so Jordan is, is is the majority, and and of course because they're still playing around with Sheriff Hussein's family, they take one of his sons and make him king. So mm. the Hashemite dynasty moves from Mecca up to Oman. They've got another. I, I mentioned the, the oldest son, who was really the, the really supposed to be the 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 end all and be all, Faisal. He gets handed Syria, where he immediately ticks off the French, and they kick him out. So the British give them Iraq as a consolation prize.
0: (laughs) A giant desert. Okay. Got it.
1: Um, You know, uh, so, uh, you know, so, so you get these forces going on and now you've got, um, the Zionist movement that is trying to get a homeland, uh, you know, homeland there. And it takes, I mean, it goes through ups and downs. The British are brutal. Um, the British figure out somewhere along the way that they're going to need the, uh, you know, Arab support, particularly after you've got uh, particularly, you know, once the Nazis come in. Right? Mm. People have to remember, OK, people, as soon as I say Nazi, yeah, think about Auschwitz, they think about the death camps. But there were a lot of Nazi years before they got up to death camps. Mm. right? Yes this, the, the, you know there the, the, there were the 1930s were Nazi years they were not war years and they were not death camp years hmm. they were brutal and they were nasty and they were authoritarian and they were fascist okay but there was a lot of nazism before you get up to world war 2 watch this well, and,
0: and my understanding is that as this you know, as Israel was being formed uh, between even World War I and World War II, so correct me if I'm wrong, as the Iz- Izra- Jewish people are emigrating across the continent, they're being brutalized and slaughtered as they go by Russians or whomever they're encountering. So it's not like they all just like got up and got on a plane and we're like, "Doo doo doo doo, oh,
1: we're well, going that, to that, Israel." That's that's been going on for two thousand years. You know, I mean, the Crusaders fought off to fight the Muslims and and uh, you know liberate the Holy Land. And along the way, every time they passed the Jewish town, they just murdered, just murder everybody. everybody. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Got I it. Mean, you know. You, you know. Let's kill the other guys and take their stuff. Turns out to be a fairly popular agenda.
0: On at, between everybody. Yeah, um, we did skits so, on watching 1883.
1: This is the history of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Okay, the San, okay. Remo, the San Remo conference enshrines the Balfour Declaration and the principle of a Jewish homeland in international law. okay under international law by the way you know i mean it's sort of weird when you think about it under international law the british and the french defeated the ottoman empire the ottoman empire said okay as part of our treaty we're giving you control over this territory they Mm. can do whatever they want with it that's how international law works
0: this is the. okay okay
1: all right. That's that.
0: Yeah, this is the stuff that makes me mad. Where people are like, "Oh, it's stolen. Everything is stolen," but, but, and I'm but, like, "It's
1: not. It's not though." People, people talk about international law. Under international law, you defeated the recognized sovereign. The recognized sovereign ceded this territory to you in a treaty. It's yours. Yeah.
3: You lost. As as my our friend Micha- Michaela likes to say, "Sucks to suck."
1: Yeah. <laughs> So, so, but eventually, right, eventually what happens is, I mean, there's a whole bunch of activity going on in the 20s and 30s. It is brutal to the Jews. It is hugely unfavorable to the Jews. The Arabs start allying themselves with the Nazis. The British say there's going to be another war. We better keep the Arabs on our side. Let's do it by being nasty to the Jews. They close off, they close off this land that they were given specifically to former Jewish homeland. They close it off to Jewish immigration um the arabs come up with a whole bunch of really brutal pogroms in the 20s mm. um, the alliance with the nazis continues
0: define what a pogrom is for our viewers
1: a pogrom is basically what you saw uh, what you saw hamas do uh, in the negev desert a pogrom uh you know pogrom comes from one in eastern europe one of slavic languages but a pogrom is basically when the peasants say hey We don't like the other group that lives in that town over there. Let's just go destroy them and mangle them. Uh, You know, what happened in Tulsa to the black community a hundred years ago? That was a pogrom. Okay. It's not just, Hmm. you know, let's go rough up the town. Let's go burn a couple of buildings. Let's go shoot a couple of guys. It is really you go in and you massacre. You kill anything you can find. You rape anything that you can find. You burn the corpses. You mutilate the bodies. You take the stuff. You maximize the butchery.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. This is okay. Th- this is um, you know, unfortunately, it is not unique in human history. No. What mm. what Hamas what Hamas did three weeks ago. That's what the world looks like. Okay. That's what the world looks like pre-civilization. Right. So for all our faults. So we got plenty of faults in civilization. That's what it looks like. It's literally
0: murder all the men and then integrate or murder the women and children.
1: I mean, They put these people, they put these soldiers on drugs to make them extra violent. Okay. This is, they didn't used to use drugs, but if they had herbs or substances, but essentially you rile them all up, you starve them, them you send them to go, you tell them the other guy is evil. They're subhuman. You go in, you burn, you pillage, you mutilate,
3: you kill them. We we, we say they didn't have drugs, but... um, dead vikings what was what was all the stuff they were doing to go berserker and all that stuff
1: well, i trucks. stand corrected yeah i mean <laughs> this, right, i mean this is you know this is the vikings it's the mongol hordes it was the islamic conquerors yeah. i mean it, it's it's there's there's a long history it was you know it was the worst of the lynch mobs
2: mm-hmm.
1: it was the lynch mobs that weren't content to say there's a guy where after let's string him up It was the ones who said Let's just obliterate this town.
2: Mm.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so in the so the 20s and 30s, it, or, or at, b- basically between World War One and World War Two, the the uh, there was a British mandate to create a uh, or to facilitate the creation of a couple of states, uh, Israel. And Jordan essentially. Well, and... nothing ever
1: that specific. They were supposed to facilitate the creation of a Jewish homeland. Of a Jewish the, state, period. Is, no, of a Jewish homeland, which is an ill defined oh. term. Homeland. But, okay. but they were also supposed to be getting the locals prepared for self governance.
0: Okay. Which clearly, I mean, golly, how do you do that when people are so accustomed to being part of an empire, when they're angry about being displaced or, or whatever, right? So, well, that,
1: so, you're, so you're creating you, you do an opportunity you do for
0: hostility.
1: Yeah, you do it the way you always do it. You find one guy who has a claim to being a local and you say, good, you're in charge. You keep the people in line. And so then, we, like, be violent if but, you need to be. Listen, all the people who are advocating for decolonization, what do they how did they decolonize Africa? How did they decolonize Africa? The European power said, here's a local tribe with whom we kind of get along a little bit better, and here's a strong man within that tribe. Okay, great. You're now president. <laughs> <laughs> so people in line. How, how why, what did decolonization you know, Look at how well that's how they, gone. Am I wrong here? What did decolonization look like in Africa?
3: No, it's funny as crap that you're saying is because I just watched 1883 and that's what he has to do. The wagon boss is doing with the German. He's, I can't speak your language. They put you, they think you're the guy in charge. You're the guy. Keep your people in check. Yeah. And his people were acting crazy and robbing and fighting and all that stuff. And he was having a hard time. And it's just, Strong parallels to what
1: you're saying. here. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, what, what, I mean, what, so, what, what does anybody think decolonization looks like?
0: Well, and I think that, you know, when you, when we think about World War II and we hear, oh, and so because of, you know, whatever, the British were like, sorry, suckers, uh, you're, you know, we're going to, you know, be crappy to you. We're going to team up. You know we want to fight against the nazis so we're going to team up with the arabs who are kind of our enemy so we're going to get with our enemy because we have a common enemy and we're going to fight together and then screw the other people and
1: <sighs> no wait, wait now, so, right so, so now so now the question is how do we get to peace and how do we resolve this and and I, i've told you traditionally the way that you do it is you trigger a refugee crisis that's how we stabilize mm. to get to peace. Okay. It's not pretty. In fact, it's brutal. It's brutal everywhere. It was brutal between Greece and Turkey. It was brutal between, you know, Poland and Germany, between Czechoslovakia and Germany. It was particularly brutal between India and Pakistan. But after mm. the oh, yeah, they stabilize. hate each other. It, it, yes, but <laughs> it, it, it it's still, uh, you know, I mean, this is how you stabilize after one of these wars, is you trigger a refugee crisis. Now, what happened after Israel became independent was the Arab world triggered a refugee crisis. And, and, you know, I mean, all of these places, people don't know. At the turn of the 20th century, Baghdad, for example, was a much smaller city than it is. And it was a multi-ethnic city. The plurality group was Jewish.
0: Of Baghdad?
1: Baghdad. Okay. Now, it turns out, I mean, as I say this, you have to remember, 100, 100, more than 150 years ago, most of these countries were not urbanized. So the cities right. were much smaller. Okay. Jews Jeez. were always an urban people. So the Jews of Iraq tended to live in the Iraqi cities. But still, the plurality, the biggest faction, biggest single faction in Baghdad was Jewish. Uh, Thessaloniki in northern Greece was a very Jewish city until the Nazis walked it out. I mean, there were Jewish cities all over the place. Alexandria had a huge Jewish population. Cairo had a huge Jewish population. Um, huh. All these places, uh, you know, Baghdad was a very Jewish city for thousands of years. Um, uh, you know, I don't
0: know why Jews would want to go back to Egypt, but you know, whatevs. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so it's actually, it's actually been, that's been that's a story for another episode <laughs> it's, it's, it's propriety it's impropriety is discussed in the rabbinic literature but um <laughs> right but but the arabs triggered this refugee crisis and you get this massive inflow of jews the jews are, are exiled from all these places they're basically i mean you know it's largely you've got 48 hours to vacate you can take one small suitcase go okay and and you know you get all these jews congregating in Israel. Meanwhile, by the way, you get so many Arab intellectuals writing going, stop throwing the Jews out of your country. You're going to give them a claim that this was a population exchange and that now that's their homeland. Stop pushing them into Israel, right? You will validate their claim that it's their homeland. This is coming at, this is an Arab intellectuals writing. Mm, okay. Coming out of places like Lebanon. They understand what's going on. Meanwhile, the Jews make a mistake they do not push out their Arabs. They let them stay. So the population exchange never happens. Okay? The Arab refugee crisis that happens in forty years. And what's more, not only did the Jews not throw them out, the Arabs say, we will not accept you. The only Arab state in which a Palestinian can hold citizenship is Jordan. In, In many of these states, Libya under Gaddafi, if you're a Palestinian, you couldn't get a work permit. Right? Kuwait had a huge number of very well-paid, very comfortable middle-class Palestinians. You know what the first thing the Kuwaiti monarchy did when we threw out Saddam and handed the country back to them? Kicked them out. They kicked out 350,000 Palestinians. Wow.
3: But why are they... What? And this has been one of the questions that's come yeah. up quite frequently during this yeah. conflict, is why is it that... If culturally, as far as people have said, culturally they're closer to these other surrounding Muslim countries, yeah. why are they not willing to accept their brothers or whatever?
1: Okay. So the right. they're them, all
0: Muslim,
1: yeah. right? Now, now, and so I mean, they, by the way, the, the UN joined in. The UN decided in nineteen forty-seven that rather than treating the Arab refugees from Palestine. Um, the way that they treat every other refugee in the world, they would create a special category with special definitions and a dedicated agency. So any agency crisis anywhere in the world, the UN sends in the UN High Commission on Refugees, UNHCR. For the quote-unquote Palestine, and, and, and the goal is to resettle them wherever they can be resettled. Preferably among people with, you know, uh, in places where they have commonalities, if they can speak a similar language, yeah. uh, cultural Religion. similarities. That's what the UNHCR does. Um, the Palestine refugees were defined as multi generational refugees. They're the only people who can inherit refugee status. They're dealt with not by HCR, but with a group called UNRWA, um, UNWRA, which is a horrible group. Which is a bureaucracy whose only job is preserving the refugee status of these Arabs. Um, They get a ton of money for it. They run schools. They are aligned with the worst Arab radicals. Um, Trump stopped funding them. Biden Biden revived it. You know it's a terrible agency. Um, So you get the special character now. Um, that's where, okay. The original, the first time you find the definition of a Palestinian Arab, not a nation, but a Palestinian, but but and but a Palestinian Arab refugee class, is from the UN, in UNRWA, and it's defined as anybody who was displaced during the Israeli War of Independence, who had been living there in 1947. So the refugee status is based entirely for a 2 year period before 1947. So the refugee status that is the first place you have a definition of a Palestinian Arab is defined entirely based on your place of residence between 1945 and 1947. Wow. Or so, your basic... claim. so so that's that's the origin of. it. Now, so
0: it's essentially the 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 people you know like un international people stopped doing the thing that they would normally do that while ugly and and uh usually brutal establishes a nation state and creates some stability they didn't do that with israel and so what happened was basically everybody still was intermingled instead of being cast out or resettled and then and then there was never any like formal recognition right Or it wasn't, Israel wasn't really recognized formally in the same way as maybe like a Poland or a Czech or the other things that you, um, other historical countries that you've described.
1: Right. Right. Now Now it gets, now it gets even more interesting. Okay. Because why are these people preserved this way? You know, you asked why didn't the Arab countries assimilate?
3: Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. The answer is, even though the Arab world has been divided into a bunch of states. First of all, most of the people in those states don't feel that they're parts of the states. You saw this first in Iraq, then in Syria. The minute the strong man lost his chokehold, nobody thought of themselves. The minute we deposed Saddam, nobody thought of themselves as Iraqi. I'm a Sunni Arab, I'm a Shiite Arab, I'm a Turkmen, I'm a Kurd. Okay. Wow. They, they, they went to their the, the nationalities they felt. The fact that the League of Nations and the United Nations had announced, you guys are Iraqis. I mean, one of the most offensive things I ever heard, George W. Bush kept saying, Saddam Hussein guessed his own people in Halabja, where the oh, Kurds were.
3: Go. I'm wow. going,
1: you know what? If Saddam Hussein guessed his people, them, he didn't think of them as his people. They didn't think of them. They didn't think of themselves as his people. You know who thought of them as his people? The global community that said, Iraq, they're all Iraqis. Oh, wow. We recognize him as being in charge of Iraq. They live in Iraq. They're his people. We've given them to him. That's our assignment. And And, and again, because up until... And again,
0: it's because up until five minutes ago, that wasn't a country. It was divided up.
1: Different tribes. The same thing happened in Syria. What was very important to the Arab world was that even though you had these states, and by the way, the only states that work are the ones that correspond to tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gulf states are all tribes. Netanyahu used mm-hmm. to call them derisively tribes with flags. It turns out that's the model that works because tribes actually have a national identity. If we're a member of the same Arab tribe, we are kin, we will protect each other. You don't, you know, you might use poison gas on a bunch of people you don't like who the you know, international community handed you. You do not use it on your own tribe. Mm. All right. Wow. Those, those are the nations that feel that. Feel like. but, but there's still this notion that there's supposed to be an Arab empire. Okay. And, and it manifests itself in movements like Pan Arabism. So the first guy who comes up with a good plan is Nasser, who was the first great Pan Arab leader. And in fact, Nasser forms something. Nasser takes over Egypt and he forms something called the United Arab Republic, where Syria just agrees to become part of Egypt for a few years. Right. The Baathist movement that gave us both both uh, Saddam and and Assad. Um, this is not only you know the Baath Party is not only a um, you know it is not only a uh, pan Arabist movement. It's an explicitly fascist movement. How did that get there? Well, you know, here's the thing that people don't think about. You remember how we said that the the French had the mandate for Syria, mm-hmm. right? Who was running France in the 1940s? The Vichy regime. Vichy is hugely influential in the Arab world. In Syria and Lebanon. Vichy Vichy France is hugely influential. Um, So you get these these fascist movements coming up. But basically you've got pan-Arabism. Pan-Arabism is going to reform the empire. And everybody swears their loyalty to pan-Arabism. Everybody. The problem is, if there is going to be an Arab empire, most of the Arab heads of states are going to have to get killed to get there. And most of the Arab nobility is going to have to get killed to get there. So Nasser, how does Nasser... because you
0: can't all be in charge. You can't have all these royal families from all of these. Okay, You
1: You need an emperor. So how does Nasser take over Egypt? It's a military coup. He kills the royalty. He kills King Farouk. Now, who doesn't like it when you kill royalty? Other royals. Surprise. So the major Middle East war of the 1960s was not the Six-Day War. It was not the Arab-Israeli War. You know what the major Middle East war in the 1960s was? It was a bloody, brutal, prolonged, almost full decade-long civil war in Yemen. Oh, wow. (laughs) If you remember, during the Cold War, Yemen was split. South Yemen, Yemen and South Yemen. But who was fighting the Yemeni civil war? Not so much the Yemenis. It was a proxy war between the Egyptians and the Saudis. Mm. Okay. It was the war between the Royalists and the Pan Arabists, the nationalists. The nationalists who want to but Nasser's Nasser's deal was that he was going to unify the Arab world. And to do that, he of course had to show that he was worthy by defeating the Jewish state. So when the Six Day War comes, Nasser is deflated. He becomes a hollow man after that. Yep. Takes takes the wind out of his sails. And now that there's no, there's still this notion that there should be an empire. Now, along the way, in 1964, the Soviets and Nasser find Arafat, who is, you know, like most of the other real terrorists. He's a member of the Muslim Brotherhood who gets very tired of their strategic patience and wants to be more spectacular as a terrorist. And they put him in charge of the Palestine Liberation Organization. What did the PLO charter say? Remember, so far, Palestinian is just a refugee designation. So, what does the PLO Charter say about the Palestinians? It says, Article 12, you can look it up. I like original sources. The PLO Charter says, we are, the, the Palestinians are an integral part of the Arab nation, indivisible, but we must safeguard our Palestinian identity because it's useful for fighting the Zionists. And this is what the palestinians are the palestinians are a constructed nation the definition of the palestinians are those arabs capable of stating a territorial claim that will undermine jewish self-determination that's, that's wild palestinians but see wild. that's
0: what i'm like i i've always wondered like where does this idea of a Palestinian as a person come from? Right. Because if there was never a nation, if it was, if it's not an ethnicity, if it's not a whatever, like why do people identify as a Palestinian? And so
1: first of all, it comes from the same place, talking about somebody as an Appalachian does. It's a region. If you live in a region, right? but these people, you know, as you saw, in, in, in Iraq and Syria and Lebanon, their loyalty was to their group. So, you know, so, so sure, if you were a Muslim Arab living in Jerusalem, you interacted with the Christian living in Jerusalem and the Jews living in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and if you were a Christian living in Jerusalem, you thought of your people as the Christians living in Bethlehem and the Christians living in Damascus and the Christians living in Beirut. You didn't think of your people as the um, Muslims living in Jaffa, right? Your the Muslims leaders, living yeah. in your city were people you had to deal with, you interacted with them. But your people were the Christians living in other cities, not too far away. Fair and, and enough. For the Muslims, it was the Muslims living in their places, and for the Jews, it was the Jews living in those places. Right. Fair enough. Right. So, so the the, the notion that well. Jerusalem and Jaffa and Bethlehem and Nazareth were a part of some entity or polity? No. They were nearby cities. But you know, if you were a Christian living in Nazareth, your your affinity was far more with the Christians living in Beirut or Damascus. yep, than than it was with the Muslims living in Bethlehem, even though Bethlehem was closer to Nazareth.
0: We've literally had that conversation before, actually. um as Christians, I have more in common with a Christian in Africa than I do with a Muslim or a non-believer that, you know, lives in Georgetown, Texas. Um, Okay. That's probably
1: probably not true, but but,
0: I mean, that's a little, yeah, that's pretty hyperbolic, but the point is like, you know, but but you probably have
1: more in common with a Christian living in Africa than with a Muslim living in Sweden certainly
0: right like there's a cultural component there a religious component there's something that holds us together a belief system that um i mean the reality is we, we are different right if we if we have different gods if we have different customs we we are different uh, we're going to have different expectations of one another. We're going to have different expectations of society. We're going to set up our government differently, right? Like the idea of a theocracy, right? Like in in, um, in Europe or in the Middle East, historically, a theocracy is not a crazy idea, but a theocracy in America you know, that was the antithesis, right? We didn't want a theocracy here. Right. We didn't want there to be, uh, you know, where, you know, it's the religion of the King that you have to live under, which is like the point of America. Yeah. So, so, so you have the six day war. So when does it all sort of like, I mean, it sounds like I was going to ask, when does it all fall apart? but it's all, but it's like,
1: but it never but was, it was together. It was, it was never together. <laughs> but, so we've got, you know, what you've got after the six day war is the pan Arab movement, you know, sort of fizzles, right. Cause Nasser was their great guy. Right. Um, he was, he was their great hope and he lost. And Jesus just becomes deflated his last few years. He was, I mean, Nasser was like a giant on the international stage and after the mm. 16th war, he was just a shell of himself. He lost I mean,
3: spectacularly, they just got... correct? Yeah. Well, yes. he lost in six
1: days. He lost decisively in under a week. It's kind a of hard huge, to describe. Yeah. A, a huge, huge whole country defeated player. by. But, right. But the imperial idea is still there. Okay. And who's um. the next guy who picks it up? The next guy who has a plan. And, again, this is a good plan. The next guy who has a plan is Saddam. Right, mm. Hussein. So he spends eight years. You've got the Shiite revolution, which galvanizes. I mean, Shiites were always what are known as quietists. Shiites were traditionally a minority religion. And they basically said, you know, leave us alone. We, wanna, we don't want to mix religion and politics. Khomeini revolutionizes it okay, and galvanizes the Shiites. And then you've got the Sunni Arabs who always ran the place and they're looking at it going, wait a minute. You know, the meek little Jews became the mighty IDF. Khomeini took the meek little Shiites and turned them into the world's worst terrorists. We're sweating bullets here. Okay? We've been the big bad bully on the street. We can't win a freaking war with any of these people. Okay? And we are not happy. But Saddam is on the front lines. And he spent eight years, the Iran-Iraq war, containing Iran. And he is bankrolled by the entire Arab world, except Syria, which sides with Iran. Okay. And that's the, the, the Syria-Iraq thing is, is a whole, you know, is that's a, whole, a whole, other, other whole, whole other story. And he backs them. And he finally wins. Okay, he's contained the Iranian revolution, who, by the way, their first export is Hezbollah, which is an Iranian shock troop that essentially takes over Lebanon. Hezbollah is a Jihad <laughs> militia that, that answers to the mullahs in Iran. Always okay. have. they found that it and it's poll, of course, makes its first headlines by blowing up the Marine, the American Marine barracks. Yep. In Beirut 40 years ago. Um, so so, uh, you know, so he holds them off and then he turns around and he says to the Arab world, OK, I've been on the front lines, saving the entire Sunni Arab world from the Shiites. Payback time. So he comes up with a plan. The first thing that he does is he agitates to take over OPEC. He's going to tell everybody, mm. set oil quarters, but that doesn't work. They don't listen to him. And, you know, in 1991 under under Papa Bush, um, we were so concerned that Iraq was going to blow up other tankers that we put American flags on the UAE's oil tankers to get them through the Persian Gulf because it was likely that if the UAE was trying to export oil under its own flag, Saddam would have bombed them. Saddam would have blown them up. And we had to protect them by saying, no, 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 there's an American flag on this vessel. If you blow it up, you're attacking the United States. And he wasn't prepared to do that. So he tries to do that. That doesn't work. Then he says, you know what? I've always kind of resented the way that the British just carved out this little corner of Iraq and turned it into Kuwait. I'm taking it back. Kuwait is oil rich, so he takes back Kuwait, and he goes, okay, great, here's the plan. I have just doubled my oil production overnight. Now that I've shown everybody in OPEC that I'm serious, I'm in charge of OPEC policy. Everybody else is going to cut their oil production in half. My revenues go through the roof. I've got the entire global economy by the throat. I'm going to become fabulously wealthy. I'm going to invest it all in an army strong enough to take out the Zionists. And now I am going to emerge as the great unifier and emperor of the Arab world. And I will do it because by taking over Kuwait and having credible threats to take over Saudi Arabia and the UAE, I control the world's oil.
0: Interesting. Mm. Okay, Okay. so that's why we went in and defended Kuwait.
1: That was another good plan for our imperialism. So what happened? What happened? Well, who fought Nasser when he had the imperial plan? The Saudis, the royals. So Bush and Baker, we've got this great opportunity to reshape the region, and Bush and Baker absolutely screw it up. Okay? They do it completely backwards instead of going to the Saudis and saying, clearly you guys want to keep your own little kingdom, you got a nice thing going, here are our terms to save you. And if you don't like it, let Saddam take over your country and we'll deal with him afterwards. Instead of going to the Kuwaitis and saying, listen, I'm sure the royal family is very comfortable in Paris, but if you think that we're handing a country over to an absolute monarchy, you're nuts. Here are our terms. Instead of doing any of that, they go around and, 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 you know, Baker goes to all these countries and says, oh, please let us bail you out. What will it take to let us bail you out? We'll, 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 we'll do whatever you need. You guys can write the terms of the coalition. We just want it to be broad so it will look like we have credibility before we take them out. Please, what can we do for you? And that's how you get the first Gulf War going. It's absolutely abysmal. That's why they couldn't take out Saddam. Because Bush and Baker let the Saudis and the Kuwaitis write the coalition terms instead of writing them in the best interests of America. Interesting. Um, so that we would look legitimate when we went in. Right? We got Syria involved. Why do we get Syria involved? Syria lives to fight with Iraq. Assad, Assad and Saddam were mortal enemies. Syria funded the Iranians to fight against Iraq. And yet we're groveling to get Syria to join our coalition to please let us go in and destroy Saddam See, this
0: is what, I'm just like, oh my God. This is why so many times I hear, you know, when I hear the history of some of this stuff, I'm like, oh my God, we need to just mind our own business.
1: Meanwhile. We made uh, it worse. Meanwhile, Saddam's got his guns pointed in two directions. They're pointed at Tel Aviv and they're pointed in Riyadh. And the United States is sitting around saying, So we've had two completely reliable allies in this area for 45 years, Saudi Arabia and Israel. Um, Their interests have never been on their, their strategic interests have never been on opposite sides of a regional crisis. They've both been reliable U.S. allies. They don't talk to each other. That's too damn bad. Doesn't occur to anybody to say maybe now is a good time to try to get the Saudis and the Israelis to talk to each other? (laughs) <laughs> but it turned out I was watching this. That was actually that was actually the first foreign policy piece I was able to publish. I said the the, the centerpiece of American foreign, American Middle East policy. This was November of 1990. Should be getting the Saudis and the Israelis to talk to each other while they've got the same guns focused on. Them. Wow. Um, and uh, but the other thing that became obvious to me during that crisis was that the solution to the Middle East is the the end to the imperial drive is when the Arab states start acting like states. Mm. Okay. When they when they drop this, I, I, I wrote a couple of essays about it. I call it in Kuwait imperialism. When they drop this idea that they're supposed to be an Arab empire. I mean, the PLO charter bills the Palestinians as imperial foot soldiers to liberate, right, Proper part. I mean, Hamas charter is even close. Hamas, Hamas is part of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is which is another. I could go on for another hour. But but if you want to understand where Hamas comes from, remember when I said really early on that it was very significant that Atatürk uh, abolished the Caliphate in 1923. Yep. Well, you have to go back to 1923 to understand the rise of Islamism that gives you and the Muslim Brotherhood that gives you Hamas because the Muslim Brotherhood was founded in 1928 as a specific reaction to the abolition of the Caliphate five years earlier.
0: So basically over the course of the last few decades, so the last like 30 or 40 years or so, the the idea of an Arab empire, gets set aside for the acceptance of a nation state. And in the meantime, you still have these people who, who were identified as a group, um, right like Appalachians, like you said they're identified as a group and so they just end up getting left behind like oh yeah. hey sorry suckers we and, know we never resolved this region and we never like did a good job of dealing with it but now you guys are all on your own and too bad
1: and, and yeah and the bottom line is this is the conflict okay the conflict is that israel the israeli jews are a long captive nation who sought Mm -hmm. self-determination in their own homeland and achieved it. Got it. They did not trigger a refugee crisis. As a result, they were left with a far larger contingent of neo-imperialists than most other countries. And the neo-imperialists are continuing to fight for the great Arab empire.
3: Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Wait, hold on.
1: Yeah. Yes. The story is exactly backwards.
3: But 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 I no, but is this not Exodus?
1: Uh I'm not saying it.
3: The Jew, Jewish people, Hebrews, whatever, yeah. go home. Yeah. They have a mandate to drive all these people out, or they're gonna give you trouble. Mm-hmm. They don't. Yep, they cannot find a way to coexist, non stop fighting with all the people in the region.
1: All right, yeah, I think of that more as judges and kings, not so much exodus. Well,
3: exodus, yeah, judges and kings. I'm sorry, yes, but right, like why? Okay, interesting. Oh, okay,
0: also,
1: okay, now, also, this is that what's going on, the Arabs in that region are the last remaining neo-imperialists. And it's one of the reasons that none of the Arab states like them, because they're done. Oh, wow. They're done with the empire. Got it. Nobody wants it. Uh, 1922, the British made Jordan independent. 2002, 80 years later, King Abdullah II launches what's known as the Jordan First Initiative, which, by the way, was a failure. It's still going on. Its purpose, its purpose, remember what we said about nation building? That you can draw, you know, you can start with the state and then say, go convince all these people you're a nation. Well, he understands what's going on in Iraq and he understands what's going on in, in Syria. So he launches Jordan First, which is an initiative 80 years after independence to convince the people who live in his country that they could think of themselves as Jordanians first, not as Arabs, not as Muslims, not as Sunnis, Jordanians. Okay. Oh, it so has like not been make America green, In yeah. years it's not been yeah it's not well you know it, it is it is the same thing right americans should start thinking themselves as americans not as mm-hmm. citizens of the world mm, not as
0: african americans yeah. and yeah. chinese americans right.
1: or whatever but americans so, so it's similar but jordan first is designed to inculcate a sense of national feeling among jordanians Think of yourselves as Jordanians, not as Arabs.
0: They just started that.
1: <laughs> no, they started it twenty years ago. It's not well, going. But that's, well.
0: I mean, but that I say just because I mean, in the grand scheme again, pick that what off. Right we're right talking about is thousands of years.
1: No, well, you know, maybe, but I got to tell you, they're ahead of most of the post-colonial countries.
0: So this. You ever, hear, I, oh my you, ever,
1: you ever hear of anybody running around Kenya to convince all the tribes that they should think of themselves as Kenyans or Tanzanians? No. Or a enough, woman. no. No, it, 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 people didn't didn't do it. I mean, it's not the way it was done in most of these countries
0: so this is so when people say like oh man okay so this is okay my brain is hurting now That's a lot so <laughs> then when you hear people say things like oh it's an apartheid state or oh it's occupied land no it's not bro like what are you even talking about it was never yours to begin with if
1: it, well, it wait it, a minute, like was, who is it, it
0: occupied it,
2: from?
1: It was Britain. Of, hang on, it was part of the empire. That's the point. Yeah. it was. It, it is national serfdom determination on imperial land. The emperor's people always think that the dismemberment of the empire was a crime. Putin yeah, but- says the, the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union was a, was one of the greatest tragedies of the twentieth century. Why? Because okay. it was his people's empire and it collapsed. Okay. Imperialists always think that the collapse of the empire is Okay, so on. this sure is enough. why... The empire of my land.
0: Okay, so this is why we had to start with the premise or the conversation about imperialism versus nation-state. Or imperialists right. yeah. versus... Okay.
3: Yeah, but by imperial rules, when you take an L... <laughs> A loss, but then yeah. She's gotta t- you gotta take that loss. Well, gotta, well, no, you don't. You can well, always
0: fight for it back, right? We, like if you yeah, think but, that there's supposed to be an empire, but then there, you never stop fighting. But if your claim is ever.
3: imperial, but the problem I think this is the problem we have when we look at like Hamas and the techniques certain people are using. Either you lost a war against an enemy state and you continue to fight, and you're getting your behind whooped, or not. But you can't say, oh, we're being treated unfairly, and they are attacking our people, when you haven't it, you
1: have um, given up. Well, it wasn't still, even yours to begin with. But, 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 but they're like everybody else. I mean, they're like everybody else who gets trapped in decolonization. I mean, who went door to door in, in, in 1991 and said to people – uh, listen, I know you've been a Soviet citizen for a long time, but tomorrow you're you're a citizen of Kazakhstan. Well, some people were happy with that. Not everybody. Okay, oh, but who are, you know who, who who gets to say right? The government changed. You Used to be a majority in a big country. Now you're a minority in a smaller country. You're like, well, I don't like that deal. <laughs> oh, man, who asked? You? I mean, this is the way the world works, right? Well, and, well, you know, the, the American Revolution. We talk about it as a great thing. What about, yeah. the like the british, right? yeah, about the british nobody cares about the british i mean didn't you just I'm, I'm, say I'm, I'm, benjamin
2: I'm, I'm,
0: who told me that earlier was it you benjamin <laughs> told me earlier that like only three percent of the people that were here fought in the revolutionary war no that was bruce. No, that was, oh, bruce. It was
1: bruce yeah oh, not me no where did we? i, I didn't say the three percent of the people were i'm, I'm just it thinking, was... you know so, I'm living in New York City, and I'm a very happy loyal british citizen and I think King George is great and they fight this revolution and all of a sudden people say to me, "Well, you could move to Ontario mm. I don't want to move to Ontario I'm a New Yorker I'm like, well, sorry, New York is no longer part of the british you know it's no longer uh, under king george's sovereignty Fair. Like,
0: so so well, to a certain extent, if I could distill down all of this conversation. The the
1: answer is uh, too bad, so sad. No, the answer is worse than that. Oh, you you oh. want another key to regional peace? You want another key to regional peace? You, you know how? The, do, do you know how wars reach peaceful resolution? S- somebody wins. Somebody wins and somebody loses. Okay, mm-hmm. the, the situation cannot stabilize until there is another refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. And that refugee crisis will either be every Jew who can escape fleeing westward, probably, or every Arab. A, not every Arab, but a large but, but another large wave of Arab refugees. This is why, by the way, with all the talk about pity the people of Gaza, there is no movement. You'll notice all the movements out there talking about, you know, humanitarian. There is no movement to evacuate the people of Gaza. There is no movement to have Egypt let them in. There is no movement to resettle them in the Arab world. Uh, there is no, there, there were, for years, there were flotillas that broke the Israeli naval blockade to run arms to, to the Gazans. You notice how many flotillas there have been to, to, to run arms to Hamas? You notice how many flotillas there have been to rescue the innocent Gazans? Zero. None. Okay, that's because they serve a purpose. Their purpose there is to be cannon fodder, fighting for an empire that wow. nobody else wants, wow. because in doing so they will make the Jews look bad. Wow, that's the role that they've been assigned by the Arab world and by the international community.
0: That's brutal. And those so of that us, group,
1: what that that's group what
0: from the UN, that uh, what did you call it? U N W A
2: R.
1: Yeah.
0: D
3: W R A, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, that that's that's their job. Okay. The job of those people living in Gaza, they were born, they were bred to be miserable victims, fighting for an empire that nobody wants until they provoke the Jews enough to make the Jews look bad. Wow. And the only people sad, the the only people who have ever tried their welfare with the Israelis.
0: Well, and that's and again, that's part of why nobody will take them. Well, like why I've none also, of the other Arab countries will take them as refugees. Some and some of okay. the other countries say they're. Yeah.
3: I've heard people say in the news that were from. I think she said Libya, and she said that we were never. We never wanted the Palestinians here because when we when we had them, they often caused problems.
1: Yeah. Well, they are they are born and bred. I mean, one of the problems with talking about the innocent people is that. I mean, the kindergarten curriculum teaches them to teaches them to, to glory in martyrdom and become suicide bombers, and you know they pass out candy to celebrate successful terror attacks. I, I, I mean, this is this and that's
0: is, not Hamas, right? Like everybody's well, trying to differentiate Palestinians. From Hamas and saying like, "Oh, they don't really want this. They don't." Well, really no. Pause. Hold this. on. Hold on.
3: Let me just ask a straight-up question, Bruce. How do you see the difference between the Palestinian people and Hamas? Are they one and the same? Separate? How do you?
1: Okay. How well, do you? Well, first of all, first of all, Hamas is one of two major. There are two major and several minor militias. Okay. If we talk about the enemy being Hamas, it's kind of like, yeah, the guy holding a gun to my head. Is my immediate enemy. Maybe when I get rid of him, I can think about the guy who gave the orders, or the general who put him in there, or the government that said, "Go hold a gun to this guy's head," or the ideology that fed that government. But right now, the guy holding a gun to my head is the enemy. Okay. 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 Um, Hamas is one of several militias. It is a. Uh, it, it is the Gaza chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood. And by the way, much as I said that the PLO charter says explicitly. There's no independent state. We're part of a great Arab nation. It's an identity we have to safeguard and cultivate because it's useful in fighting the Zionists. The Hamas Charter is you know, Hamas Charter says explicitly dozens of times. There are no nations within Islam. The nationalists may mean well, but what they're saying is a violation of our faith. We right. are not a Palestinian nation. You know, we are we are parts of the we are parts of the Islamic Empire, which is broader than the Arab Empire. The Second Reich. Got it. Okay, this is, um, you know, now, uh, the problem, okay, the problem was the whole creation of the Pal- Palestinianism, the whole movement. It's a unique movement. Outwardly, it looks like a nationalist movement. They've got diplomats, mm. they've got a flag, they show up at, at international conferences, they're yep. guys, we know how to wear business suits. It looks mm. like one. It's in a workings, it's a hate movement. Ooh. Okay, what was the first? What was the first movie shown in the White House? Do you know?
3: Birth of a Nation, right?
1: Birth of a Nation. What was the nation? Israel. No, 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 no. Birth of a Nation, the movie. Why is it so deeply offensive? What was the nation that was born in the Birth of a Nation? You know. I've never watched that movie. To be totally honest with you, it was the Ku Klux Klan.
3: I remember the Klan was involved, so I assumed it was America, but okay. got no.
1: What? The nation was the Ku Klux Klan, and the alternative name of the movie was The Klansman. Really? Okay. Birth of a nation. The nation was the Ku Klux Klan. That's the kind of nation Palestinianism is. It's a hate movement. It's a supremacist hate movement. And all of its inner workings are consistent with being a supremacist state movement. It's why they raised their kids to glory and martyr them.
0: This is okay. All
1: right, I, and, and, and 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 you know, it, it's you know. So now, do all the Palestinian people back Hamas? First of all, you know, do all the X back Y? The answer is no. Okay. It doesn't, doesn't matter what your X and Y are. Okay. Um, you know, Putin is very popular in Russia. Do all the Russians back Putin? No, of course not. Some of them hate his guts. Uh, you, you know, uh, I, I mean, it's it, it, so no, not all of them do. Okay. Now, now, many of the people say, oh, "Well, you know, I hate, you know, I hate them." It, it, it's kind of, you know, the question is, what do they hate about them, right? The, the, they're brutal thugs. Okay, I, I, I may, I may like their foreign policy part, where they go and kill Jews. I'm not so great with the protection racket shakedowns where where they take 20% of my dry cleaning revenue. Mm. Uh. Okay. So, you know, there's that too. I may hate the part where they commandeered the field where my sheep used to graze to, to build tunnels. Okay. But I still like what they're doing over there. So there's a lot of them. I mean, Hamas won an election. Hamas for many years has been by far the most popular of the um, of the Palestinian militias, okay. wow. Palestinian Authority. I mean, you got to remember, um, you know, the the moment that Israel withdrew from Gaza, the first thing they did was they held elections and they had a civil war. So Palestinian Authority hasn't been in charge of of Gaza for since two thousand seven. I think they were thrown out. Hamas has been in charge of Gaza. It's because Hamas won the election. Well, won I've the heard election.
0: people say. That that's our fault and that like we uh, supported Hamas or something like.
1: So, so you remember how I said that the first Gulf War was blown by by uh, Jim Baker? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the Hamas electoral victory is thanks to Condy Rice. What? Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Netanyahu warned Bush. He said, if you hold, if you push for elections, Hamas will win. And, Kandira, and and Bush was going to back off and say maybe you now it's not the not time. They don't exactly hold the cleanest elections, but Bush was prepared to back off and say maybe it's not time to hold elections. Kandirah okay. ran them down his throat. Wow. What? Okay. You, you may note that I'm not a great partisan. Um, <laughs> well, we're not. We're not
3: either. <laughs> we're I mean, we kind of not either. Look, just to give As, you an, give you an example, if you read our. <laughs> The comment that we have down here. I'm gonna let me let me clean this up.
1: Yeah, you never brought in your audience. You were like, oh well, well
3: the well, we had a question. That we've Dan. got
0: a ton of viewers, but f- th- we don't normally have this few comments well, let me, or let this. Me, m- let me let me. Let me I'll, people I'll must just really be listening.
3: Well, Dan so, said. Uh, yeah. Dan, Dan Dan asked you, Bruce. Bruce, yeah. why do all the dipsh? neocons insist on supporting israel when the palestinians are treated like third-class citizens citizens of what country but go ahead and answer the question
1: well you know i i'm not going to be one to speak for the neocons I've split with them over a, <laughs> the over dipshit over.
0: neocons yeah.
1: i i I've, I've split with them over a large number of issues and quite frankly most of them at the moment they're backing the biden administration which just Completely mm-hmm. perplexes me and, and blows wow. up any understanding I once thought I have of, of, of um, you know, of what they stood for. But uh, you know, at, at the end of, I mean, at the end of the day, um, Israel actually treats its Arabs as well as it can. It keeps looking for ways to loosen it. The reason that the Hamas operatives were so effective, the Palestinians who infiltrated on October seventh were so effective was that Israel granted workers from ga- granted work permits to Gazans who came in to case the joint the people who came in and raided the kibbutzim knew what everything was in the kibbutzim oh, because wow. they worked there on work permits
0: that's what gross. dude yeah so they knew they were attacking a they bunch of innocent civilians who couldn't the defend themselves
1: they they went, they went in and they worked the farms. They made notes who everything was. They knew all the people. Yeah.
3: Wow. Yeah. I did not. I have never heard that. I have Look not up. heard
1: anybody say by, by, that. By, by the way, I wrote a book published in 2017. It was self-published on Kindle. It's called An American Vision for the Middle East. Yep. Um, it's still available on Kindle. And I will tell you, most of what I discussed here is in that book, except, of course, for the events of the past few years. Um I've got over 600 footnotes. I cite wherever mm-hmm. I can to original sources. I cite primarily to Arab sources. Oh, uh, where I can I'm gonna find put them, a link in the chat where, 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 where I can find them in translation. Got it. Um, you know, uh, I don't read Arabic, so I can only read the stuff that's been translated. Uh, but um, I've got I mean, its it's a short book and it's got 650 footnotes. wow but I mean
3: literally all the news sources we've heard, everyone who's talked about this issue, um, they're on one side or the other side, they don't haven't talked about it nearly as soberly um, as you have with the detail, so people are still out here twisting in the wind, and I have yet to hear anything about the individuals who worked those areas are the same ones that attacked, thus knew everything was, I have never heard anyone mention that the entire time.
1: Well now that you've heard the story look it up, you'll find stories online Most of the stuff
0: stuff is out there. I mean, I found it. Well, and that's the thing is I think that, you know, returning back to kind of where I started the conversation from is so many of us are, and I, I, you guys, before we started, I told Bruce we were going to try to keep this conversation to an hour. uh, And we're running up. No, no, it's, this is the whole, but this is the whole thing is people are trying to have this conversation in sound bites and you cannot get yeah. the depth and the history and the weight of the conversations that we're having in 30 second or five minute sound bites.
1: Cause there are two um, things. One is, you know, actually there are three. One is it's extremely complicated. Two is there's a lot of history behind it three is almost every concept that i have outlined is completely alien to americans correct Yes. I, americans I, think, I, you know they toss around words like anti-imperialist and decolonization they have no idea what these things mean
0: well and i think you i think you said this before we started recording um because i shared with you you know what my ex- my collegiate experience was like And you said, it's like, we're learning history backwards. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Right. And so that that's, it is we, it's like when, when there's a fight on the school on school grounds, right? The, the recess, uh, you know, the, the teacher in charge of resets, uh, you know, a fight breaks out and they walk up when you're retaliating, not when you got provoked right? Like the, you know, the, the it it all
1: started, it all started when he hit me back,
0: right? I mean, this is what it's literally like (laughs) the American people are learning this history in backwards order, Mm -hmm. not realizing that there are tens of thousands of, well, well, that there are thousands of years, hundreds of years, um, wars, factions, tribes, that there's so much more to this yeah. than, than any of us is really aware of, or that we got taught in school. Yeah. And if you didn't go to college, I don't know, maybe you're better off than if you did.
1: <laughs> and so- But it's, it's backwards. Look, if I walked into a room and, and all that I said was, the Israelis are an indigenous people fighting for self-determination and the Palestinians are an imperial movement. Nobody would know what the hell I was talking about. It actually takes two hours to explain that because right. everything that you've been taught about it is wrong and backwards. Yeah, literally.
0: I
3: feel, I feel like we're feeling some of this or they're trying to get this ha- to happen here. They're trying mm. to break us into tribes yeah. to thus undermine the foundation of what makes it mean, what it means to be America in order to create a similar situation in our country. So
1: that we'll like well, it, fight. it's it's explicit. You, you know, I, I had this was another, this is an article I wrote. I think I I think this is my article that was supposed to appear on Christmas Day, because the, the title was uh you know, um uh about justice and peace on earth. Mm. Um you know, and and uh, but they didn't. They ran it like a week late and it didn't work as uh, well. It didn't work. But but the basic theme is this is something I realized standing at a protest line years ago, and I'm out there, everybody else, and we're chanting "No justice, no peace." Mm -hmm. And then I did the worst thing that you could possibly do in a protest rally. Okay, this is absolutely this is the thing. I tell your audience if you're ever to a protest rally, do not do this. I thought about what I was chanting, (laughs) 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 and it really it killed my day it just stopped being fun. And I thought about this chant, no justice, no peace. And I thought, this is totally backwards. The only way that anything ever gets to peace is when people say we will walk away from past grievances and past injustices and we will focus on the future. Peace is future focused. If you're focused on justice, you're always looking backwards. And it will never reconcile because everybody always has a claim. Right? Mm. And this is the problem with something like a social justice movement that, that, you know, there are a lot of virtues out there. Justice is a virtue. Peace is a virtue. Liberty is a virtue. The American system was designed as a liberty focused system. Right? Among all the virtues, the one that is most important to America is liberty traditional. Mm. Now the Arab world is a great example of a justice focused system. Doesn't mean they don't value liberty. doesn't mean they don't value peace. It means the thing that is most, the virtue that is most important to them is justice. Mm. If your grandfather stole from my grandfather and we haven't even it out yet, we've got a oh, blood feud. Never.
0: Okay.
1: Wow. And now things have to be balanced and only after they've been balanced can we go forward. So basically a lack of grace. Well, I don't know if it's a lack of grace. It is simply this is what happens when you live in a society that says the most important thing is justice. Everybody no, is always no. out nursing grievances. Well, that
3: I mean, let me let me explain it in a different way. So as a Christian, grace is uh undeserved is the okay. whole point of grace. Okay. So if I give you the pass on that, you know, we're gonna bury that. I'm not gonna get what I'm owed from you. I'm gonna just let it slide. That's a, that's a grace, like a jubilee or whatever you wanna call it. I'm gonna forgive that debt and keep on moving. And you're saying that in the, in the Arab world, that's not important to them. You have to that eye for the eye.
1: But well, I mean, you know, part of it, but also, I mean, think about the problem with grace at a societal level. So I do something wrong to you, and you say I'm a good Christian. I'm going to act with grace. I'm not going to okay. exact my revenge. I'm going to call you brother and give you a hug. Copy. And I say, what a great deal I can get away with stuff. Let me go. Let, let me go do the same thing to somebody else. Maybe That's I'll find another Christian.
3: <laughs> I got. I see what you're saying.
1: Okay. So well, for, at a societal level, this can become problematic.
0: Wow. Got it. All right. So hold on. I wanna just I also wanna just share. I'm gonna share my screen here. Um wait. That's not my book on the Middle
1: East. That's another book.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. But this is what we're talking about now, this whole idea of tearing down uh the American experiment and um uh, you know, the, the thing that we we just started talking about was, you know, tearing the America apart. So, um, that Liberty versus justice as being the primary foundation of, uh, of a nation. Right? right. Um, and so I literally, I was like, oh, it literally says that in his, in the, on the website of, of of a new civil war this is your most recent book right yeah the new civil war so now um i just pulled up a link hold a on a
1: completely different topic
0: totally. yes also good books so that was the um let me uh let me grab this guy wait hold on <laughs> You selecting your own comment hold on i was going to because i was just going to copy it but then I'm like, okay, here's the other Here's the other one. It's not on the website. Um, hang on, share screen. This is the one we were talking about. Um, this is the link on Amazon that I shared. Thanks.
1: And, and you know, okay, wait, okay. that, that's the book out. I was talking about. Um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> you could tell by the lovely artwork I designed the cover myself. But but, but, but if you actually look at the cover there, those are the symbols of actual real nations in the Middle East. You've got the um, you've got the Star of David. You've got the cross. You've got the, uh, you know, you've got the. um, So I think it's a Druze and a Kurdish and an Iranian and a Shiite and a Sunni. Oh, a sword! For those that's telling, isn't it? For, for those, for those who don't know it, if you go up over the sword, which is the uh, Alawite, the, yeah. the, one, the, the the one with the cross in it, that is an Arab Christian symbol. Um, the cross is inside the letter Nun, which is an N, which would be the first letter of Nazarene. Oh, oh. Okay, Interesting. so that, that that is an Arab Christian symbol, uh, which is the 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 cross inside the first letter of Nazarene. Wow. wow. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So a little, so, little, little, lesson, little lesson for your Christians. Um, <laughs>
2: they're, they're okay. I, mean, so, I also
1: want to say that one of the things people, particularly on college campuses, like talking about is, is, is they seem to think that there are good options on the table. It's kind of like, well, we've taken a Twitter poll. Choice A was justified. Right. Choice B was unicorns and rainbows. And each of them the of respondents favored unicorns and rainbows, okay? That's not the way that it works, right? When when you get into a war, there are no good options on the table. Everything Mm. that you do leads to tragedy. The question is, can you choose the least bad or the least tragic? Can you choose the one that is best for your people? Long term. Long term. I mean, that's the question. There is no, you know there is no unicorns and rainbows checkbox
3: this is actually why we get so mad when we see politicians who are in such a rush to jump into wars and we know that they're not going to fight them and they have no family members that are going to fight them what's more than that it's not going to be your kids
1: dying the united states hasn't fought a war to win since world war ii what oh okay we, we don't you know my view is the statement we should get from every american leader any American president should say the minute I send the first American soldier into harm's way, I am committing the entire arsenal and might of the United States behind him. Otherwise, we don't want to do
0: that because we don't want to look bad, just like Israel doesn't want right. to look bad for wiping the Palestinians off the map. So
1: so instead, what we say is you send your kid, your father, your husband off to stand and get shot at. And if we don't think that the people shooting at him are really all that unreasonable, we'll go, eh, just one I mean, guy. Wow. I mean, yeah. That's that's the alternative. Those are the only, you can count it however you want. Those are the only two messages you can send out. That's. I would rather have someone to say the first kid I stick at in, 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 in gunpoint means that he's got the entire might of America behind him. All of it, no holds barred. Look what we're doing now. We, we sent these destroyers to the Persian Gulf. People are getting killed. and eh, not so many of them. It was only seven. It wasn't a big deal. The first guy had cardiac arrest when there were missiles heading at him. You're not really going to hold that against the guy firing missiles.
3: You know what? You know, I understand. Wow. Um, you are
0: not wrong. I understand. You oh, wow. not wrong. But
3: these, the military people I know, that are like, I'm not going to fight. I don't want to be in the army anymore. They're like because, because I'm going to go do something. I'm going to risk my life for no for no good for we no positive for
1: outcome. We didn't, we didn't fight to win in Afghanistan. We didn't fight to win in Iraq. We didn't fight to win in Vietnam. We don't fight to win. Uh, maybe you know. I, I mean, you know, we took Grenada in like 24 hours, so we didn't have we didn't have time to lose. We didn't have time to lose. Right. Wow. But but wow, I mean wow. we don't. We, we we haven't fought a war to win since World War II. That's World War II, so... we said. World War II, we said we will take unconditional surrender from our enemies, and we fought until we got unconditional surrender from our enemies, and then we wrote the terms, and we said, okay, here's what Germany's going to look like post-war. Here's what Japan's going to look like post-war. Hmm. That's how you, That's what happens when you win a war.
0: And then again, we Israel never did that. Israel you know, never did that.
1: The reason that this conflict persists is that the Arabs lack the ability to win, and Israel lacks the will to win. Wow! Ooh, when, wow. when one of when one of those things changes, the Arab-Israeli conflict will be over okay
3: we're pulling some clips out of this one because am like Bruce is, li- Bruce is over here co- like this
1: last 20
3: minutes Bruce has been cooking with the one-liners <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think that's where we should probably wrap should it up we're going I through mean, hours that's literally like that you just said it right there um so I think that is the perfect place to put a pin in the conversation yep um dr abramson bruce thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for sticking with us through this whole conversation and answering all of our questions thank you your listener
1: uh, circuitous yeah
0: yeah thank you uh to our viewers for sticking with us and for caring you know what I mean? For all the people who have stuck with us through this whole conversation, you guys show that you have a commitment to understanding the truth, just like we do. We want to know, well, what we believe, what we can identify as the truth, right? And, and, and I think that ultimately, you know, if we can all learn to be Um, to withhold judgment and certainty in moments of crisis, if we can, as human beings, start to exercise discernment and, um, self-control, uh, we would all be a lot better off and, Uh, You know, I uh, would love to have you back on, you know, in another month or two as things progress, as we see what happens, um, because I am I am deeply concerned about the movements that I'm seeing on college campuses around this conversation. Um, I'm deeply concerned about the demonstrations we've seen um as political violence seemingly is now acceptable here in america as demonstrated by the 2020 riots you know i am i am deeply concerned for what is to come uh, in america with this conflict and so Um, you know, would love to have you on again in the future to kind of unpack where we get to, especially now that you're in this role in academia, in admissions, um, I am, I am, I am going to want to hear your perspective after being in that role, uh, for, uh, even longer and how it, what you experience with your peers in the admissions in academic admissions i'm very curious yep because i think that's going to be a whole other conversation thank you yeah i love it all right all right bruce again thank you for coming on everybody go check out bruce uh all his books all his information you can find on his website brucedabramson.com learn more about him, his books, his publications, his blog. He's also the director of the American center for education and knowledge, which is the think tank based in New Hampshire. This Uh guy is like smarter than everyone, you know? Okay. And, uh, so if you're looking for information, if you're looking for knowledge book, Uh, Bruce's books and publications are a great place to start. Like he said, it was a small book and he had 650 um, uh, notations. So you know that this is well-researched. You know it's well-founded. Go check him out, BruceDabramson.com. Learn more and, uh, and we'll see you guys next week. See you next week.